Welcome. This is Rachel Amaday. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises. I'm going to make an adjustment here. There we go. You're listening to the Spiritual Exercises podcast. This is where we challenge our faith, challenge our beliefs, challenge what we know about scripture. Make sure that we've got it uh, as accurate as possible and have that deeper knowledge, deeper foundation, graduate spiritually into a place where we know enough that we understand our next steps of obedience, but we also know enough to carry us through the times when we don't feel like being obedient. You know, I know you're supposed to love God with all your heart, and I know all obedience is supposed to come from your heart. I have to tell you, it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> you have, have you, have you ever noticed this? Sometimes the intention of your heart is absolutely to follow Christ, but then he asks you, God asks you to do something that you don't want to do. And you have to make a choice because I love God and I trust him. Am I going to do it anyways, even if I don't feel like it? Well, I hope that's the choice you make. It's not a choice I've always made, and I will tell you I've suffered when I haven't made the right decision based on my feelings. Because in the end, our feelings change. One day, you're going to feel super connected to the Lord and ready to do absolutely anything for Him. And the next day, you're going to have questions and doubts. But through all of it, you want to have that connection not only to the Holy Spirit, but just a reminder, Yeshua is always speaking to you. He's always telling you. He's always challenging you. That's be- We know this because we have the word. We have the Bible. There it is waiting for you to open it up and read it. He is always there waiting to talk to you and discuss with you. And so even at the times where we don't feel like it um, and where we don't feel the presence of God, God has provided ways to speak to us anyways. And so, you know, uh, I hope that this helps give you that broader, deeper knowledge foundation, and maybe some fun ideas to chew on and think about as you continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. For those of you that are listening that might not be believers, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I hope that this podcast is answering questions for you that maybe you've always had about the Bible, because I know that a lot of atheists and non-believers come to Christians with questions that are absolutely legitimate about our faith, and believers do not have the answers because we have not been trained. And so my hope for you is that you find good answers to your tough questions. And if you don't find them here, that I provide you resources where you can go and search because I think the Holy Spirit brings people in in all different ways, right? Um, some people, their life crashes and burns and they realize they need God desperately. Some people absolutely come into the knowledge of God through intellectual questions. And I know of those people, actually, intellectual questions and answers. In the end, all of us are called to have a heart relationship with the Lord, but how we get there really varies. And so um, let's dig in. Today, I wanted to cover just one more week of my trip to Israel. There's more that I could share with you. There's so much more, but I, I just wanted to give you fair warning and understanding if you do decide to go, what you will find at some of the sites and locations that 
surprised me. I wasn't prepared for it. And that is these Catholic churches and buildings set up all over the country that are set up in what is traditionally understood as certain locations where Yeshua had big moments in his ministry or his death or his resurrection. A lot of it is unconfirmed and a lot of it is speculation, but your tour guides are going to take you to these locations. And I had such a strange experience with a lot of these locations. Honestly, there there was one in particular we'll get into. I felt completely uncomfortable in it. Just like this is out of place and wrong and something is happening here that is not biblical. And so I want to give you that history, number one, why this happened, what happened here that we've got these Catholic churches on top of all of these historic locations. And then kind of some of my experiences, I've included some pictures of these locations as well. So you can get a better idea. But there is a huge Catholic presence in Israel, which probably you do know and isn't surprising. Let's go to the history here. In 132 AD, the Roman Emperor Hadrian built a temple to Jupiter in Jerusalem and renamed the city Aelia Capitolina. By this time, followers of Yeshua had renamed themselves the Way, and the Way was considered a sect of Judaism. It was not considered its own separate religion, guys. So when... Yeshua left the earth, his followers continued to be considered part of Judaism. And so when the Bible says you are going to be a branch grafted into the root, the root of Judaism, pretty much the root that is there from the beginning, from Genesis, that gets grafted into that root. And the root obviously is also Yeshua himself, who was the author and creator of all of this. But it's, it means it. It means that's what it means. It does not, there's not another tree that gets planted. There's not another church that gets planted. We are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are our fathers. Our history, our heritage is the nation of Israel. The first church that was a called out assembly happened in Exodus, at least That's the very first place it happened. That's our heritage. That's why those stories matter. There are stories. And so we can say, you know, we are just like Israel. We can say, because we are. This, these are, this is who we are. And so you see this in the history. Okay. In 132 AD, you had a group of people called the way they were considered part of Judaism separate in that they believed the Messiah had come, but they practiced the way the Jews practiced. They just believed in the Messiah. They believed they had a one-on-one relationship with God because of what the Messiah had done. So from around this time period to Constantine, so from about 132 AD to like a little after 300 AD, AD, there was a flood of new doctrines and new ideas that were being spread. There's not really a better word, I guess. They were being spread or being proffered to people. And of course, this would happen. You have Judaism and you have paganism. And then all of a sudden, you have Jesus come and you have people who say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus was Jewish, so we're still going to do Jewish things, but we believe in Jesus. And then you have people who start saying, And it's called Marcionism, and I I detail this in my book. Marcion is a very important character at this time period, and people don't know who he is. It's just tragic to me because he was a giant deal. But basically, Marcionism came along and said, no, 
really only the New Testament matters. Only what Paul wrote is the doctrine of the church. And we need to get rid of anything that looks Jewish. Okay, and this is actually, he is the one that coined the phrase New Testament and Old Testament. You know, previous to that, you were going to have a group of books that were all going to be one canon, but he was the one who said there's a separation between these books and the the New Testament books. There's a separation there. Um, so much started with him that changed the course and the direction of what Christianity would look like for all time so far, even to this day. Um, church after church obsesses over Paul. Uh, I've heard people say that Paul is their favorite writer of all the books of the Bible. That goes, you know, he goes above and beyond for them, the gospels and what Jesus said. So we have a problematic obsession with Paul. And by the way, if you're new to this podcast, I'm going to do a nice little review, um, hammering out some of the issues we have with Paul and our interpretations of Paul. I'm just going to be reading from my section of my book called Writing Paul next week to kind of give you a framework of how I view Paul so you understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) Because a lot of people think that Paul comes along and explains a change in the laws of God. And I'm going to hopefully prove to you he does no such thing. So we're going to we're gonna talk about Paul. But Marcion got obsessed with Paul to the point where he wanted to get rid of everything else. Only Paul, what Paul said was going to be the new religion, okay, basically. And he even went so far as to say the Jews have a different God than this new version, you know, these new Christians do. These are different gods. You know, the Old Testament God is mean and terrible and horrible, and Jesus is so much better. Okay, so now you can understand just how dangerous and how heretic Marcionism really is because most Christians don't believe that, but they don't understand that when they separate Jesus from the Old Testament, they kind of do believe it. And so we have Marcionism start to take hold, and then we come to 325 AD, and we we have Constantine, and we have the Council of Nicaea. This is when Christianity became the official religion of Rome. But this was a Christianity completely devoid of anything that looked Jewish. And this is because they hated the Jews and they didn't want to look like the Jews. The Jews were a threat. Constantine himself wrote this, and I quote, we should have nothing in common with the Jews. I mean, the problem is Jesus was Jewish and he did Jewish things. So what do you think happened to the faith at this point? Well, we're going to see here. Jewish looking faith was a grave threat to this political, you know, the political maneuverings that Constantine was trying to make. He was trying to unite a kingdom. So many of these decisions were brilliant political strategies. And I'm not sure about his conversion at the time that he says it happened because they continued to print the sun god, which there's lots of versions of the sun god through mythological history. You know, you've got, um, I believe, Zeus or Jupiter or, you know, Mithras, but we've got sun god worship going on, on all over paganism. And they continued to print sun god, the sun god, on all of their money, even after this supposed switch to Christianity. So I I don't know what to think of the history here. And I want to give Constantine some credit, um, not only for his political maneuverings, but you'll see later his mother is um, deeply moved by some of the things that he is saying and goes out. And even though I think it's a mistake, the decisions they made perhaps had a you know, a good intention. But as we know, the road to hell is paved with good intention. So um, good intention isn't always enough. So 
This is how we get the many Catholic churches that we see in Jerusalem and other locations in Israel today. It was from started really from this time period of Constantine and the Council of Nicaea. So Helena was Constantine's mother. Now, I am including pictures of this because we did visit this location. She is the one that first built the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The church is said to contain both the location of Yeshua's death, Golgotha, and of his burial and resurrection. Now, according to the Jewish Virtual Library, and I quote, little remains of the original Byzantine structure, which was burned and looted by the Persians in 614, partially rebuilt by the patriarch Modestos, damaged by earthquake in 808, and destroyed in 1009 by order of the Fatimid Caliph al-Hakim. A portion was rebuilt again by the Byzantine Emperor Constantine Monomachus in 1048, but most of the present building is the result of 12th century, 1144 to be precise, crusader reconstruction, as well as later renovations. The most recent work of restoration and preservation began in 1959 and is not yet completed made after several centuries during which the church fell into disrepair. The present building encompasses half the area of the original Byzantine church, and only the rotunda replicates the approximate shape and design of the 4th century original." End quote. Now, Catholics, Greeks, and Armenians share the site to this day. Okay, different religious rites and ceremonies are occurring there daily. So I've included a picture of the Franciscans doing a ceremony around what's called the Stone of Unction. By tradition, this stone is where Yeshua's body was prepared for burial. And what I saw, I took some video as well. I don't know if I can include that today, but... Basically, what they did is they, the Franciscans all went around this slab and they sung um, some songs in Latin, I believe, around it. And then they threw holy water, they sprinkled water on it, and people bowed down and worship at it. Um, it's honestly, it felt unbelievably pagan. And being in the presence of it, my sister, who is not quite as adamant about all of this as I am, was with me and she looked at me and she was like, I don't like this. And I was like, yeah, I don't like this either. There's something very um, idolatrous when you're worshiping a slab of granite or marble, whatever. It was. I think it's granite, a sl- just this slab on the ground and sprinkling it with water and um, I don't know what they sang. I don't know what the words were. I don't know what, what it was, but it felt very worshipful of an inanimate object. And we know that the Bible tells us not to do this, right? It says, don't make an idol of any kind that you bow down to or that you worship or that you venerate. Um, don't try to make images of me that you venerate. I mean, God is so specific. This is part of the Ten Commandments. So it's very strange to see people who would agree that the Ten Commandments are true, but who are enacting rights towards particular objects. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't like it. It felt outside of the context of what God would want us to do. And the entire church felt that way. Um, it, it was beautiful. I mean, there's mosaics everywhere and there's just, it's, it's, unbelievably overdone. I mean, every inch feels like it's gold or shining or beautiful or, you know, dark, actually, in a lot of ways. And I thought it was really strange. 
you know, I was in Jerusalem. I had been a few hours previous at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall and the Temple Mount, which, you know, does not feel that way. It's older and and the Temple Mount itself has been there for a long time and, you know, layers upon layers of history right there. But there isn't a gaudy Catholic structure all around the retaining wall that was, you know, built after Christ, I believe, but is retaining one part of the Temple Mount. Um, you know, that felt so different than being in this really over the top, unbelievably wealthy, you know, Catholic church location. Um, now the Catholics were in charge basically of depaganizing Jerusalem. So, you know, when Constantine came along, he wanted to get rid of paganism, Right. And you would think this is really great. Right. We're going to get rid of the pagan stuff and we're going to talk about Yeshua. But this was not necessarily good for the Jews or for those of the way, because the belief abounded that Christians were supposed to replace the Jews. So they didn't want anything to do with the Jews. They really did believe, hey, the Christianity is a new tree that we're planting. And there's this replacement theology like the Jews lost their right to Jerusalem. This was the belief. The Jews lost their right to be in this place and God had neglected and denied them access. This this was their belief despite what all the prophets speak to, despite what all the Bible says, despite Jesus himself being a Jew, despite all of this somehow this this belief was rampant and so there was anti-semitism. Um running, starting to run rampant uh, at this time. Luckily for us, though, this belief meant that Constantine left the Temple Mount empty. Okay, so he didn't go and try to build a giant church there because he thought what the Jews had was not for you and me. It's not for Christians. Let me tell you what. He was wrong. (laughs) The Bible tells us very clearly that um, Yeshua is going to reign from Jerusalem. He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives and split it in two. He is going to come back and that is his location that he will reign from. And we will go and visit Jerusalem and we will visit these locations to be with Yeshua multiple times during the year and to celebrate his feast days. This is prophesied. And so there's no replacement. Remember, I really believe that the prodigal son story is not just a personal story. This is a story of the two houses, the house of Judah, which is the older son who thinks they've done everything right, but they've missed it. They've missed that they've had the good father the whole time. And it's about the prodigal son, the 10 tribes that go out and they waste their inheritance And they become so low that they will do anything. They will be a slave to get back into their father's house. And so the dad gets his two kids back together. Well, this is what Yeshua came to do. He said, I came for the lost tribes of Israel. I came for the lost house of Israel. I came for all those people scattered who don't know who they are. And all the ones who will be adopted into those tribes. Because we all, if we are not part of that lineage, we get adopted into one of those tribes. And so this is about God bringing his both houses back together, not just the Goyim, the nations, but the Jews as well. Judah and Benjamin, the, you know, Judah is going to be a part of this reconciliation. So <clears throat> 
Anyways, Constantine and the Council of Nicaea had a wrong belief. I've also included many wrong beliefs, actually. I've also included pictures of the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. This is believed to be the site where Gabriel told Mary she was the mother of Yeshua. Now, I just want to tell you, I've asked the tour guides about this. They tell me in no uncertain terms there's no real evidence that exists of this being the exact location that's claimed by the Catholics to be. But it was a beautiful church all the same. Very interesting. Um, the first church was established here on this site in 400 AD. This was also a result of Constantine. Uh, during the Crusades, a second church was constructed over the ruins of the first, but it was not finished. It was destroyed in 1260 by the Mamluk army. The Basilica today was built in the 1960s in the style of brutalism. It's a very interesting place to be, very interesting style. Um, it was beautiful, uh, different, you know, interesting. Now, I've included many of the pictures of Mary holding Yeshua that were created and donated to this church from Catholic churches all over the world. So you have images from, you know, churches in, in China and Peru and, and all over the world. It's very interesting that most of the images I saw in this church have Yeshua giving the trident symbol. I'm going to just leave that one out there for you. You can go try to find some good research on the trident symbol. There are claims galore. Um, this is definitely a symbol that is older than Jesus, though. Uh, it, it existed in paganism, and you just got to wonder where that came from. There's a lot of history there. Go, You know, go have fun with that. I'll let, I'll let you take that rabbit trail uh, this week. But Constantine built churches like this all across Israel during his time. He was attempting to build um, at many of Yeshua's most important locations. And like I said, I want to give some credit to Constantine, or at least to his mother, who is now venerated as a saint in the Catholic Church, and lots of mythology sparked up about her and who she was. But she she apparently really had some empathy and sympathy for the fact that there were all these locations that they thought Jesus had done great things, but they were run down and awful. And so she went out, you know, she's particularly responsible for starting a church, you know, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. But she she went out and wanted to build beautiful churches at these locations. You know, in today's vernacular, I think we would consider that ruining the historical site. Instead of preserving it, you've literally built a church on top of it. So nobody has any ability to actually see what this looked like. Um, not only that, but any sort of archaeological evidence underneath becomes more difficult to find. And so I'm not a fan of what the Catholics did. But um, I'm going to try to give some credit and just say they probably, at least maybe Helena had good intentions here. Um, despite all the anti-Semitism that came along with it, unfortunately, and that really turned into rampant, unbelievably horrific anti-Semitism and abuse of Jews. And, and it would have included people of the way because they looked Jewish. They celebrated a seventh day Sabbath. They did the Jewish things. These things became illegal, um, in the Roman Empire and became persecuted. So it's kind of just the dark history of the Catholic Church there. I I really struggled with the experiences I had there in these churches. And um, 
I didn't enjoy it. I, I just, I knew I wasn't seeing anything from the time period of Christ. I knew I wasn't really all, I already knew I wasn't walking the streets the way he did because the city has been so built up. But then to be in really a particular style of building, particular style of thing with particular imagery that belongs only to the Catholics, that's not in, you know, um, the Bible. You've got like the sacred heart stuff going on. You've got Mary worship going on. You've got the worship of stones going on. You've got iconography and statue uh, worship going on. You've got all sorts of strange things. I I know people really love visiting these locations. For me, it felt like it felt like something was missing when I was in these locations. So just a warning to you and and you can love and adore the architecture and the type of work that they put into these buildings because we'll never build stuff like this again it's too expensive right and gosh i wish we could make our churches more beautiful and have them not feel like prisons but you know that's maybe a podcast for another day but that's a little bit more about what i experienced when i was over in israel i hope you've enjoyed the last three podcasts discussing some of my time in israel there's so much more i mean i could do this for a really long time but i really want to get back to some of the uh, regular bible studies here so um hopefully this information has been helpful there's been a little bit of a history lesson in it for you and just a reminder when you go there you can really see the layers and layers of history and my visit there so confirmed what I had written in my book you know not only did I have tour guides confirming what I had written but then I could see it in the archaeology and in the cities and in you know all these different religions layered on top of each other I could see it and that was just so affirming for me and helpful also a little bit heartbreaking because some of it I wish wasn't true but um Yeah, so that's a little bit about my trip to Israel. If you'd like to hear more, you can go back and visit the last three weeks of podcasts. I'm Rachel Amaday. Thank you for being here. Till next time.